Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus replied, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you all this time? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the Spirit of Truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Have you ever seen someone accomplish something that's just so incredible, you wondered how they even pulled it off? I know I am not the only person who's watched NBA star Zion Williamson dunk a basketball and thought that the rules of that govern gravity just clearly are being broken. You might listen to a symphony by Beethoven and marvel at the mind that could weave such subtle sounds together. Every time I read my favorite series of books, I puzzle over how the author could build such a vivid world from scratch. The gospel story suggests that the people who knew Jesus had this feeling around him a lot. Even his closest friends were constantly scratching their heads and picking their jaws up off the floor. Evil fled in his presence. He touched sick people and they got better. He prayed over food and food multiplied. He walked on water. He was courageous enough to confront people that other people feared. He was compassionate enough to forgive people that other people scorned. 
Everyone around Jesus wondered how on earth he was pulling this stuff off. Jesus' answer to this question was different than you might think, though. Jesus didn't say, hello, I'm God. What did you expect? Instead, at least according to John, this is how Jesus explained his extraordinary accomplishments. Jesus said, the Father who dwells in me does his works. When Jesus came as a human, he came as fully human. He wasn't picked up in a cornfield like Clark Kent with some kind of superpowered juice coursing through his veins. Jesus had left behind his divine power and privileges when he left the courts of heaven. He was born exactly as empty and helpless as all humans are. So how exactly did Jesus pull off so much apparently gravity-defying stuff? Well, according to his followers, God's spirit was spotted descending on Jesus in the form of a dove at his baptism at the beginning of his ministry. And from that moment on, everything changed. Jesus lived his life in constant connection with God the Father through the Spirit. Even on a mission to save the world, even being divine himself, Jesus was constantly going away by himself to pray. Even during the busiest periods of his ministry, Jesus would withdraw for periods of time and go away to be alone in prayer. Jesus understood that as a human, he had nothing in himself. The work he had to do could not be accomplished by his own resources. But when the connection between the human Jesus and God the Father was open, when the relationship was strong and full of mutual trust, all of God's wisdom and power and resources would flow freely through Jesus. All that belonged to God was Jesus's to draw on in service of the mission that he'd been called to. And Jesus tells his followers that the same can be true of them. He says that when he goes away, he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth. This companion, this spirit will be a game changer for them just as it was for him. The same spirit that made possible in Jesus's life all the things that he did, that same spirit will make those things possible for them. And this is what Jesus means when he says to his followers in John, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. When through the connection cord of the Spirit, we bind ourselves to Jesus, who's standing in the very presence of God the Father, all of the resources of heaven become open to us. The channel might not be perfectly clear and open as it was in Jesus' case, because all kinds of sins and fear can get in the way and obstruct the flow. But still, the channel exists, and God is more than willing and eager to send all kinds of things along it. But the metaphor of a channel maybe sounds a bit mechanical. 
As if Jesus were discussing what kind of delivery service will reliably get God's packages to earth. Now, I suspect that this kind of misses Jesus' point. Now, what Jesus is actually talking about is a relationship, a new kind of relationship or connection that he's making possible. Jesus himself is connected to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit in this intimate community that Christians call the Trinity. Uh, Next to me here is a 15th century icon by Andrei Rublev, which is probably one of the most famous artistic depictions of the Trinity that exists today. And the figure of the center in this painting is Jesus. He's wearing the reddish-brown color of earth and humanity with the tree of life behind him symbolizing the cross. To the right is the spirit wearing the green of new life. And both of these figures incline their heads in submission to God the Father on the left. The Father, in turn, extends his hand in blessing toward Jesus. They are three persons, but they're so intimately connected, they are in some real way one. The desire of one is the desire of all the others. What belongs to one belongs to all. This is the community that Jesus has always been a part of. And through prayer, even on earth while fully human, Jesus retained his connection to God's table. Through the Spirit, Jesus could still access all of the abundance that belongs to God. If you study this icon for a while, one of the things you might notice is that while three seats in the table are taken... There's a fourth spot here in the front that remains open. The table opens toward the viewer, almost as if it's beckoning you forward to take a seat. This isn't a coincidence. Jesus tells his followers, I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends. Because everything I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is stating here explicitly that he isn't just inviting us to serve God's table. He is inviting us to sit down at the table, to enter in to the very community of the Trinity. Jesus offers us a chance to know God's mind and God's business. (laughs) Because friends... They don't hide important things from each other. But friendship is also more than a matter of knowledge alone. Uh, Friends also share their possessions with each other as needed. And this is why Jesus says, I chose you and I appointed you so that you could go out and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. In other words, according to Jesus, as you enter into this friendship, as you commit to this community fully, what belongs to Jesus will also be yours, always available to you. Think of it like this. When people enter into a relationship with each other, over time they tend to share more and more things. On a first date, you might split the dinner check. But over time, you stop keeping track of who paid for what. 
You might eventually decide to get a dog together. And when you finally decide to get married, to unite your lives permanently together, everything changes. You merge bank accounts. Both names go on the house. What belongs to one of you also belongs to the other. This is the sort of thing Jesus is describing when he says, On that day, when the Spirit comes, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is describing a kind of spiritual union that comes from a growing commitment to merge your life with his. It means becoming part of this intimate, life-giving community of the Trinity. What God the Father desires also becomes your desire. What the Spirit knows, you also have a chance to know. What belongs to Jesus, all of the power and abundance of God, are yours to draw upon. This isn't some kind of weird exchange of magic powers. It's also not some cheap version of the health and wealth gospel that promises to give you whatever you want if you say a prayer right. This is a description of a dynamic living relationship. As you commit to the relationship and consistently show up at this table, as you learn how to bow your head in submission to the desires of God, as you accept the role that you have to play in the mission of God, just like Jesus did, all of the resources of God become more and more available for you to draw on. I'm convinced, looking at our lives, that the story tends to go wrong in two ways. The first way, and by far the most common, is just that we never enter into the relationship at all. We never sit down at the table. We're running to and fro, we're accomplishing things, maybe even things we think are for God. But we're operating on our own strength. And more to the point, we aren't giving God the thing God wants the most. Us. Our presence at the table. The mission is God's table. Jesus lived and died to give us a place here. If we're not taking the time to sit down at it, we've missed the point of the entire project. And we're not truly serving God's mission at all. The second mistake we make is that we do enter deeply into the relationship and we simply never realize how serious Jesus is about his offers. He says he's willing to tell us what's on God's mind. He says he will give us access to every resource that belongs to him. And he means these things. In a broken world so in need of Jesus' power and resources, How tragic it would be if we lived a whole lifetime walking empty-handed past hungry and hurting people, never realizing that our name was written on Jesus' account the entire time. This table is set in front of you. The invitation is open. For God's sake, for your sake, for the sake of the world, don't miss your chance to sit down. Let's pray together. Jesus, what what a story. 
What a mystery you've let us in on. You have invited us to be united with you such that your desires and our desires become one so that we think and know your thoughts, so that we see with your eyes, feel with your heart, so that our name is on all your accounts. Give us hunger and boldness and courage to live as if these things were true. Most of all, help us to hear your gracious invitation to sit down at your table and be present with you. We thank you that what you want from us more than anything is us, our company at your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.